Good morning. Are we going to have another 70 degree day? Please? I would love to that. I would love to be able to sit outside this afternoon. Um, it is the new year, January, um, which means, of course, it's my birthday. Um, so, um, January 14th, I will be 39 years old. That's, how many of you think that's old? Okay. How many of you wish you were that old? Oh, okay. So, a little bit of both. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I'm, ex- I'm super excited. Um, my wife took me to see Jim Gaffigan, a comedian. Um, he's not a Christian comedian, but uh, as comedians go, he's more on the clean side. So that was, that was really fun. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. Um, that, was, that was cool. And in the new year, a lot of times we set New Year's resolutions. It's this feeling of new beginnings, of growth, and I want you to lean into that. I really want you to lean into that because last week, as we saw, being a disciple means being a renovator. It means being someone that renovates that changes things because restoration is part of the gospel. It's part of setting right what was wrong. It's part of bringing new life, new birth, being born again, changing, taking what is broken and mending it and fixing it and restoring it. And this is, this is part of the nature of who God is. And that's why we are a church where broken people find hope. We move from brokenness to hope in Christ. And that is what we are all about here at Calvary. And the thing we want to renovate is your heart. Last week I asked if you were ready for God to change your desire. And you're back, so I'm going to assume that all of you are ready for God to change your desire in some way. To change your desire, to renovate your heart. To renovate the heart, we have to understand spiritual formation. We need to understand how spiritual formation works. And everybody has a spiritual formation. Even Hitler had a spiritual formation, okay? It is our spiritual formation that dictates how we respond in different situations. It is is what, what tells us what character and choices are available to us at any given time. That's your spiritual formation. Every one of us has a spiritual formation. Everyone gets one. The most degraded person in the world has had a spiritual formation, and that's why they like the things that they like. Spiritual formation refers to how the basic elements of human life, the will, the thoughts, the feelings, the body, the social relationship, and the depths of the soul all work together. How they have been shaped so that character and life, character and life come out of our spiritual formation, they come out of how they have been shaped. And the will that is turned against God, the will, when it's turned against God, hijacks the mind, your brain, to justify what it is doing. The mind takes the emotions and feelings with it, and very soon you have a whole person who is wrapped up in an obsession. Obsession is born out of desire. Obsession is born out of desire. Desire, though, isn't in itself bad. Some of us think that desire is bad. That's what Buddhists teach, that desire must be killed, and if you just killed desire, then you wouldn't have no problems. Desire in and of itself is not bad. We have to have desire to be human. It's not bad in and of itself, but it's not good or bad. It's not good or bad to want sex or food or sleep or 17 hours of Netflix, right? (laughs) Desire in itself is not bad, but it's dangerous. 
Desire is dangerous because desire has a tendency to take over your life. Desire could take over your life like that. And it, it sneaks in, and before you know it, your life is completely ruled by desire. And what happens with desire is that we lose sight of what is good. We lose sight of what is good when desire runs the show. That's how desire takes over your life. Have you ever ruined quality time with your friends and family because they weren't doing it right? Have you? Have you ever ruined date night with your wife? You know, because, or probably maybe date night with your husband because he's looking at his phone? You're supposed to be having quality time. And here you are in your phone. And so then you, of course, yell at them, which means now in this quality time, you're yelling at each other. Maybe that only happens in my marriage. I don't know. Or, you know, you, you give driving tips on the way to the restaurant. Gentle driving tips. Never mind, you know, we've been married 15 years and neither one of us is a good driver and it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. <laughs> But you, give, you offer driving tips, you know, to help them out. And by the time you get to the restaurant, you're just like, Rrr. one of the things that I do is my wife and I will get so busy, we won't get to hang out. We won't get to spend time with each other. We won't get to watch a movie together because we've got kids and small group and then they got homework and we're doing things. And by the time, you know, the, the days and the weeks go by, it's like, wow, we haven't even like seen each other. So then we'll get like some, some quality time together. And then I want to unload on her on why we don't have more quality time. Like, why don't we have more quality time? We never hang out anymore, you know? You're always busy, I'm always... It's like, wow, way to, way to kind of bring a downer to the evening, right? We ruin it. Have you ever been on vacation and yelled at your family because they weren't vacationing properly? They weren't enjoying themselves enough or in the way that you want them to? They, were, they weren't relaxing enough or they were relaxing too much? You know? What is that? What is that? You, we ruin it. Yelling about the table needing to be cleaned off. I just did this well, last, last night. Yelling at my kids about, we need to clean off the tables so we can have family dinner time. And they're like, wow, we really want family dinner time now with you. <laughs> and after traumatizing the family, let's all hold hands and thank God for the food. <laughs> we had a good desire right? We had a good desire to spend quality time together. But somehow, in between the good desire and the holding hands, I lost sight of what I really wanted, which was to create a place of safety and love and welcoming. And the whole point of eating mealtime together was so that we all feel like we have a place where we belong. And then I yelled at everybody and they felt like they certainly don't want to belong, <laughs> Right? What happens with desire is that we lose sight of what is good. And that's how desire takes over your life. If we give in to desire as our guide for life, if desire becomes the guide, the map for your life, then we lose touch with what is good. Desire has the power to make us do that. And a big part of that is because desire makes us focus laser-targeted on something. You can't see any, I can't see them over there. This is better, I like this. <laughs> Desire makes you laser focus on something. It, it's like blinders. Desire by its nature obsesses. 
it isn't a variable speed drill. I, was, I asked Pastor Joe if he had a, uh, like a non-variable speed drill. And if you've ever used drills, do you know there's variable speed and then there's non-variable speed? And if you ask um, some of the guys who use drills, I, I remember the first time I used a non-variable speed drill, I wasn't familiar with it. And there's only two settings sometimes. On the back, there's a little switch and it'll switch from break your wrist to sprain your wrist. And those are the two, the two options. Because of the, with a variable speed drill, you squeeze the trigger a little bit, and it goes, and then you squeeze it some more, and it goes, and then you squeeze it some more, and it goes, and then you squeeze it all the way, and it goes, with a non-variable speed drill, you touch the trigger, and it goes, and just all the way. All the way. And if you're not ready, if you're not braced and in position, you know, you're going down. It's taking you with it. And desire is like that. Obsession is what happens when we let desire take root. Uh, desire is on or off. On or off. And when it's on, it is like a roller coaster ride. It's like a rush. And it leads right to obsession a lot of times when we let it go. And then when it's off, it's, it's not there. Oh, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Right? Rarely do we encounter people, though, who are obsessed with something that is good. Obsession puts your mind on lockdown. It just kind of locks everything up into this one mode in this one lane. It's just that one thing that you care about. And the question, is it good? Is it good that I, I'm obsessed about a truck or a new computer or this program I'm working on or this relationship I'm in or this TV show or this food I want to make or this project or this promotion or this house or this whatever? Is it good? It doesn't enter into the equation at all. Desire doesn't care about is it good. Like you can't, that's not even a thing. Desire is just like, this is what we want. This is what, how do we get it? I gotta have it. That's how desire and obsession works. You can't think about other things because desire has your brain in a vice and only directs it towards the obsession. And any thought you have will be in service to the desire to justify what you're obsessed about. Well, you know, I worked really hard this week, so of course I deserve four packs of Oreos and two seasons of Netflix, right? I deserve it. Or, you know, she's not listening to me, so, you know, if I flirt a little bit, uh, or, you know, my boss didn't pay me enough, so if I cheat a little bit, or if I take a little bit, or if I take some extra time, or I pad the time card, yeah, I deserve it. And desire and obsession will help you justify anything that you want. It'll put your mind as a slave to the desire. Desire must become a slave to the will, not the other way around. Your desire has to become a slave to your will or else you will be a slave to your desire. It must be a servant to what is good. It is the role of the will to see to it that desire is the servant of what is good. Your will's job is to make desire work for you, not the other way around. That's what your will is for, to make desire work for you. And that's the difference between will and desire. Will, will sees the big picture. Will sees multiple options. Well, let's, let's see the pros and cons. What's good for me? What's good for God? What's good for the community? What's good for all of us? 
The will can see all of these things. Desire can't. Desire just sees. I want this. And we got to have this. The will, though, can, can see multiple options. And so you need your will to help you see what is good. The will looks for what is best. The will is looking at alternatives. This may be good, but is it best? That is how the will functions in our life. And the real danger, though, is that desire can capture your will. Desire can capture and lock up, put your will on lockdown just like it does your brain. There's many people who do not know that they have a will apart from their desires. You've met them before. You might be one of them. Where they say, I want this thing. And you know that thing is really unhealthy for them. But because they want it, there's no talking to them. There's just, I want it, and so I'm going to have to have it. And there's no like separating out what is good and from what they want. There's like, they're enmeshed together. There's a lot of people that they just don't know that they have a will that's separate from their desires because their will has been captured by their desires. And they think that if they desire something that, that, that is needed, that you have to have it. That anything you want is a need, not just a desire. And they have allowed their will to be obsessed by their desires. And when they do, their mind closes down. This is what happens. When, when we allow our will to be obsessed by our desires, our mind shuts down. And they learn that to hold on to their obsession, they must not open their mind to the truth. Because if I start thinking about it, then I'm going to feel bad. And I don't want to feel bad because, I mean, that's the whole point of obsession is to feel good, to have nice feelings. And so if I start thinking about it, I might get scared. I might not follow through. And so we're going to shut down the thoughts. Shut down those thoughts. And we call them hashtag haters, right? <laughs> you know, the woman who's leaving her husband to run off with some guy and chasing love and then people are like, hey, you know, you're blowing up your marriage in this relationship. Is that good? Is that good? Maybe take a break here. Take a time out. Go some counseling or something. And they're like, hashtag haters. Hashtag haters trying to keep me from my best life. Right? Because you can't see. You can't think that through. You know? I get in my mind that I need a new computer or a new part or a new project. My wife's like, do we really need that? Wait a second. Why are you trying? I'm going to learn from this. It's going to be good for me. It's going to be good for business and life. You know, I don't want to hear her tell me why maybe we should wait on this purchase. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And of course, when it comes to freeing up someone, someone up from obsession, we have to go to the will and the mind. We need our will and our mind to free us up from obsession. And the will can do what it's supposed to do only if it understands what is good and is focused on pursuing what is good. Does your will understand what is good? Does your will know what's good? Is your wanter properly calculated or calibrated towards the things of God? I think... Because we're religious. Sometimes we think that our will is calibrated correctly because we can quote a scripture or because we can you know, point out something that God said or because we've heard a message. And all that is really good. But 
when you're not in church, when you're not in Sunday school, when you're not in small group, do you want the things that are good? Like good, like God's good. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Are these the things on your want list? Are your wants oriented towards the things of God, towards the things that a disciple of Jesus would do? Or are they focused and obsessed on something else? This is definitely not the case with those who are unaligned with God. In them, the will falls captive to desire. They live to do whatever they want. In the Old Testament, there's many passages that say, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was this cycle of behavior where people would come back to God and then they would start to slowly think, well, maybe God doesn't have it all figured out. Maybe God's way isn't the best way. Maybe I should just do whatever I want. And the next thing you know, everyone's doing whatever they want in their own eyes rather than what God wants. In Genesis, Eve talks to the serpent. There's one tree that Adam and Eve is not supposed to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve is out one day, she's by the tree, flirting with the tree, hanging out. I don't know why you would hang out there. It seems like I would stay away from that tree. But she's hanging out there, and the scripture says Adam was with her, so quit elbowing your wife. (laughs) Okay? Adam was right there with her. And the snake talks to Eve and says, hey, you know, did God really say this? So God, so let me get this straight. God says if you eat of this tree, you're going to die immediately? Look at me. I'm slithering all around the tree. Slithery little snake around the tree. I'm fine. This fruit is good. You think God's really going to do that? I mean, you and God are friends. You sure God's not just trying to keep something from you? And the serpent whittles her down and works at her belief and her faith in what God says is true and having negated her thoughts about what God said and God's trustworthiness is eroded in Eve's mind, she starts desiring the fruit. I want this thing. And since the teaching about what God has said was good starts to disappear, Eve goes along with her desire and does the stupid thing. And that is basically how sin works. To decide that I know better than God or better than good and that I will have what I desire. When I decide that I know better than good, I know better than what God has said is good, I know better than than what the Bible says is good, that's how sin happens. That's how obsession happens. That's how desire wins. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul outlines this for us in verse 17. He says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye, he's talking to a church, the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians, and so this would apply to us too, that ye, the church, Christians, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles. He's even talking to Gentiles. He's talking to us. In the vanity of their mind. That means the futility of their mind. That means a broken brain. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto, these are a big word, lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness 
with greediness. And I, I'll show you verse 19 in the ESV because it kind of explains it a little bit. They have become callous. And what callous is, I've been playing guitar for 24 years. 24 years I've been playing every week. So if you look at my fingertips, I've got calluses on my fingertips. And if I try to show you how to make a chord on a guitar and you don't play guitar, you're going to put your fingers on the strings, and I'm going to say you've got to press, and then I'm going to pluck the strings, and it's going to go. In fact, I could, I could show you. I'm going to, if you put your fingers on the strings and you held them a little bit, it's going to go. And I'm going to say, what are you doing? They're going to say, what am I doing it wrong? And I'm going to say, yeah, you've got to push harder. And so then you're going to push hard. And I'm going to say, you've got to push harder. Here, let me help. And I'll push your fingers into the strings, at which point you're going to say things you shouldn't say to the pastor in church. <laughs> Ow! That hurts! What are you doing? You're cutting my fingers open. Yeah, that's what you've got to do. And then you're going to pull your fingers off. There's going to be big red, deep lines. I don't want to do that. I'm like, and I'm going to say, what? That's a big deal. I do it. It doesn't hurt. I don't feel anything in my fingertips when I play guitar. I don't feel it at all. It's all hard, crusty. Every once in a while, I peel off like, like chunks of hard, dead skin, and another callus forms underneath it. Why? Because I play all the time. I play all the time. I've become callous in this place. And your heart can become callous. You can become callous to the things of God or to the things that are good. And that's what it's talking about. The world runs on desire and not what is good. This general condition of fallen humanity, and Paul explains it. In this world, in this time, desire is king. And in our culture, it doesn't matter why you do something. It just matters what you want to do. And Paul's describing this progression. And when a person have become, has become calloused, they do not have normal feelings. Just like my fingers. My, feelings don't, my fingers don't have normal feelings. They're calloused. And when you become calloused to the things of God, you don't have normal feelings. Your feelings aren't like they used to be. What used to be exciting is no longer exciting. And so, we go to sensuality to feel something. Because it's very important to have feeling to us. When we don't have feeling at all, we can, that's what depression is. Get to a place where you're not motivated to do anything. You don't enjoy anything. You don't want to get out of bed. You just, it's like all the feelings are completely dulled and you're in this dark place. And people are like, snap out of it. And you're like, I can't. I just I don't feel anything but like, ugh. And that's what, what happens in depression. So we have to feel something. Feelings are very important. But normal amounts in regular life do not satisfy you and it dulls really quickly. So you want something stronger. And so to get more feeling, they practice every kind of impurity with greediness. So we take the things that are, are generally not bad or good and they're fine in and of themselves and we add greediness to it. And when you add greediness to the desires and the feelings, then they get really ugly really quick. And that's what he's talking about. To, greedy to practice every kind of impurity or as the KJV says, to work all uncleanness 
with greediness. So you take that thing and then you add greediness to it. So food, is food bad or good? Depends on who's cooking, <laughs> right? Is food bad or good? Food's not bad or good, I mean, unless it's bad cooked, you know? But food plus greediness equals gluttony, right? Food plus greediness equals gluttony. Working out, is working out bad? No. A lot of us could use some working out. But working out plus greediness equals self-worship. You seen those guys and gals? And they're just working out like four hours a day and they have no life, no family. <laughs> and their relationships are kind of rocky because they spend so much time focusing on getting better trapezoids or whatever. <laughs> drugs. Are drugs bad or good? Drugs can be good for us. Painkillers have, have helped people to live a, a better life sometimes, but drugs plus greediness equals addiction. Totally consumed by the thing. That feeling you get when you buy something is fun, isn't it? You click buy and it comes in the mail. It's like, oh, Christmas. You open the Amazon box or you're at the store. I just got new jeans. I like these. It was fun to buy those. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm shopping. It feels good to buy something, but that feeling plus greediness equals greed. Greed. You're then consumed by shopping and at least debt. That excitement or fear that you get when you gamble. Oh, I could lose it all or I could win big. And it's that combination of feelings all together. And you add that to greed and I got, I'm going to win big and it's going to save everything and it's going to be fine. Now you've got a gambling addiction. Sex. Sex is good. God made sex. And he said it was very good. He's like, you're going to love this. But you add greediness to sex. Now you have addiction to pornography or sex addiction or um, promiscuity or the cheating on your spouse. When we become callous to the pleasure and the joy of what is good, then we turn to greediness to amplify the feelings so that we feel something. But, Paul says, but, in the next verse, that is not the way that you learned Christ. That is not what a Christian does. That is not how you learned Christ. As Christians, we don't add greediness and just give me more to feel better. No, that's not how Christ operates. There is another way. Christ has another way. So we go to our text in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers, and I talked about this last week, participators in the divine nature. We can participate in who God is, in His character, in His nature. That's what walking with Jesus is all about. That's what being in the kingdom of God is all about. Surrender to God's will rather than our own desires consuming us. We can be participators, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Another word for that is desire. We as Christians are supposed to have escaped desire. It's not supposed to consume us or control us. We are participators in the divine nature because we have escaped the corruption that comes from desire gone unchecked. 
This is why we need morals in human society. The task of morals is always to put people in a position where they can do what they don't want to do. And they can't do what they do want to do. That's what morals are for. And if it weren't for the corrupting power of desire, we wouldn't need ethics or morals. Think about this. Do you want to work with people who don't have the ability to do what they don't want to do? So you have coworkers and you're like, well, we got to clean up this vomit. Yeah, well, I don't want to do that, so have at it. No, you need people that you work with who can do what they don't want to do. Like, that's the whole point of work. You give me money to do what I don't really want to do and what you don't really want to do, so you're exchanging money so that I do the thing you don't want to do that needs done. Like, if you can't do what you don't want to do, what way we work? And then some of you are like, I work with all the people like that. <laughs> do you want to be married to someone who doesn't have the ability to not do what they want to do? Think about that. Your spouse, if they just physically did not have the ability to say no to themselves about anything, would you want to live with that person? They're just running off squirrel. Oh, this is nice. They eat whatever they want. They do whatever they want. Baby cries in the middle of the night. I don't want to get up. Well, neither do I, but one of us has to. <laughs> you know? We take turns. You want somebody who says, I'm in it. I'm gonna, I understand I'm going to have to do things in marriage I don't want to do. I'm going to have to say no to myself when I want to say yes to myself because we don't have enough money or because we need to discipline. And if you can't do that, you're not a great mate. You're not a great employee. How many days have you gone up, got up and gone to work when you didn't want to? Right? We have to have this ability. Do you think people enjoy being around you when you don't have the power to do what you don't want to do? And you do what you want to do all the time. Desire is not bad. It's not bad to have desire. We really have to have desire. We have to have passion in our life or else we would not do anything like I talked about with depression. You may not do anything if you didn't have desire. Desire is not bad in itself, but if we allow it alone to control us, it will ruin us and ruin everyone around us because desire is not determined by what is good. So what is the answer? Love. Love is the answer. Love is the answer. And in our culture, it's hard for people to imagine that we have the ability to know what is good outside of what we want. To be able to separate those things and say, what is good and what do I want? And be able to see those two things clearly and understand that sometimes what I want is not what is good. That's where a lot of our problems come from. And even our concept of love is distorted. How many of you would say you love chocolate cake? Anybody? Okay, we have one down here. Let's try brownies. How many of you would say you love brownies? Okay, there's a little more brownies. All right. I think you're a liar. Just calling you out. I know Pastor Joe doesn't love chocolate cake. Pastor Joe wants to eat chocolate cake. <laughs> now imagine I am chocolate cake. Okay. I know it's, I'm chocolate cake and I'm moist and have icing all over me and a lovely chocolate cake. 
And Pastor Joe says, I love chocolate cake. And so I go over and I'm like, oh, this man loves me. And then he pulls out a knife. Whoa, I thought you loved me. What's the knife for? He doesn't love chocolate cake. If somebody said they love chocolate cake, that would mean they're going to take care of chocolate cake. They're going to make sure chocolate cake has a good home and a good life. The chocolate cake has health insurance and preservatives and it's going to be put in the fridge and then put out and get some sunlight. We don't love chocolate cake. To love something means you want to take care of it. You want what is good for it. When someone says they love something, it's supposed to be they, they want what is good for the thing. And it doesn't mean that a lot of times in our culture. There's a difference between what is loved and what is desired. They're not the same thing. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He said, by this, so he's going to explain, by this thing shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love one another, if you take care of one another, if you have the desire as you have the desire to take care of each other, the world's going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus. As you take care of one another. Love is always directed at what is good. You love something if you're set to advance what is good for it. You want to take care of it. So if you love chocolate cake, you'd be taking care of it and not eating it. Love seeks what is good for the loved. Desire seeks to have its own way with what is desired. Love wants what's good for the loved, and desire wants to have its own way with what is desired. They're different. To love rightly is what redemption is all about. The purpose of redemption is to bring us to love rightly. Desire isn't bad, but desire is not love. And to be a church where broken people find hope, we have to know the difference. We have to have desire. We have to have passion. Or we wouldn't do anything. And desire pushes us to act. But desire isn't love. Desire is a great employee but a terrible boss. A great employee, but a terrible boss. When desire works for love, it's amazing. It's an amazing employee, but when desire is put in charge of your life, it will wreck you. To change your desire, to deal with your obsessions, the cure is love. To treasure what is good and what is right. So, you have homework this week. Over the rest of the series, we're going to start looking at how do we embrace what is good? How do we learn to see what is good even when our desire wants us to do something else? But this week, what I need you to do is have an employee evaluation with your desire. I know it's never comfortable to sit down and say, we need to talk. But I want you to sit down with desire in your life and have an employee evaluation. Has desire been serving what is good in your life? What is good for your family? What is good for your church? How do I know what is good? Well, what has God said is good? Has desire been serving you? Been serving God? Been serving your home and your family? Or has your desire become the boss? a little tyrant in your life, telling you what you have to have to be happy, telling you what you have to do 
And if that's the case, it's time for desire to get a demotion. Say, look, we, we still, we love you. We want you to work here. Because you do. You need to love yourself. You need desire in your life. Desire's not bad. But it can't be the boss. We have a better position available for you. That's what we have to do. We have to say to desire in our life, there's a better spot for you to work. And that is in service of love. In service of the will that is surrendered to Christ. Because your desire, when it, man, it's just going to wreck you. So that's what I want you to do this week. I want you to sit down with your desire and have a heart-to-heart. And like mentally separate out, this is my will, this is, this is what I want, this is what is good. And you know what? My wanter, from now on, you're going to start working for what is good. And I know I don't have the power to do that, maybe. I'm going to need Christ. But we're going to work on it. So this is coming, and we're going to figure out a transition plan to transition you to a new job. So I want you to demote desire this week. And next week, we're going to talk about how to promote love to be the boss in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, we spent a lot of time talking about desire today. And God, I, I, I hope that this family, that this body will get it. That they'll see that desire is not king. And when it is, it's a wreck. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to contemplate this week. To open our minds to the possibility, to the vision that you could cast in our hearts of a life that that is focused on what is good rather than what I want. Lord, that's hard. And we can't do it alone. We need supernatural power. We need, we need lots of grace to figure this out. And you've given that to us. But God, for those who are in bondage this morning, whose will, whose mind, whose emotions whose sensuality has become in bondage and enslaved to desire, God, I pray that you would supernaturally move in their life, that you would break down the walls, that you would break down the barriers, that you would crack open their will's ability to see other options besides just what they want. Help us to wrestle with this this week. Help us to demote desire in our life, to have that employee meeting and put desire where it belongs in service to the will that is surrendered to you, not, not, not the boss. We trust you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.